Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Two Sets of Books Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yes. All right. <laughs> I'm glad you had a good weekend. I saw three movies. Yeah. Three. Count them. One, two, three. Okay. Wow. So, all right. I saw The Irishman. A Great l- flick. Longtime listeners of this show are just shocked <laughs> that you watched three movies uh, over the weekend. Well, actually, technically one was not a movie. We'll get to that. I saw The Irishman. Uh, Great flick. Run, don't walk. We're going to have a group discussion on The Irishman. So everybody's going to, uh, as a bonus drop, I think that's two. Tomorrow, not quite sure, but um, and then we'll on that uh, episode we'll have a feature uh, uh, feature segment on that. Will Dennis fall asleep? <laughs> Holy crap! No, it's a long movie. It's gonna be a uh, it's gonna be a hard movie for some people to watch. I love it. It was an excellent movie. Uh, then I saw Joker, Dennis's favorite movie of the year. Really good movie. Uh, I will now do my imitation of Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, that's my uh, imitation of that movie. Very dark movie, D man. Wow. Uh, and then I saw a more Woody Woodpecker than Joker, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, and then I watched about three hours worth of Dave Chappelle comedy. So it's technically not a movie, but I watched it as if it were a movie. Because can we just say something? Dr. D was so nice. Uh, he gave me, he went to the uh, store and bought me a DVD, the full the collection of Dave Chappelle comedies from 2000. Now, the, the, okay, Dave Chappelle had a TV show back in 2003 when I wasn't paying attention, so I missed the whole thing. And I remember at the time people were talking about Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle. You know, typical me. I was busy raising kids. I wasn't paying attention. Anyway, finally, only you know, 15 years too late, I caught. Oh, I'm looking now. I'm looking for people to talk about. And they're like, uh, Ben. Uh, you're a, a loser. That is old conversation, okay? And now, not like the people who thought he was cutting edge and cool don't like him, uh, D, because, you know, times have changed. He's doing the same comedy today as he was doing in 2003, but people's attitudes have changed. I, I don't know. Anyway, I really liked and enjoyed So thank you very much. I spent about three hours watching Dave's. Hey, Ben. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, Anytime. Anyway, and then I woke up. Okay, there we go. Woke up today and uh, brought out the newspaper and discovered that Danny Lipinski was playing one of the oldest tricks in the book. Yes, indeed. He had two sets of books. All right, let me explain. That would be Dino Dan Lipinski, congressman from the 3rd Congressional District on the southwest side. He's the son of William Lipinski, who was the uh, congressman before him. William Lipinski handed the district off to Dan Lipinski in that great tradition of democratic politics in and around the city of Chicago where you give it to your kid. All right, when you're tired of it, hey, you do this. Oh, thanks, Dad. Uh, He's been the congressman ever since. He's probably the most conservative Democrat in Congress. Uh, 
two years ago. He barely defeated Marie Newman in a very contested battle for the Democratic primary, the Democratic nomination, and then went on to defeat Art Jones in the election. Remember that one, D? Art Jones. Uh, Danny Lipinski mopped the floor with Jones, but what's scary part about it is that Jones got 56,000 votes. Why is that scary, you ask? Good question. Thank you for asking it, D. Art Jones is a neo-Nazi. Holy crap, I remember that guy. Yeah, 56,000 votes for the neo-Nazi. Now, there's two theories about this, D. One is that the voters in the 3rd Congressional District are just ignorant and just voted for the guy with the R next to his name without knowing who he is. And two, the scary one, there are a bunch of neo-Nazis in the 3rd Congressional District. Now, I'm going to be optimistic, and I'm going to side on the, 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 the glasses half-full side of things, D. I'm going to say it was ignorance. They didn't know they were voting for a neo-Nazi. It's, it's a side of the times, folks, when I'm claiming ignorance is the better alternative uh, to ideology. But uh, so that kind of gives you a sense of what they're up against in the third congressional district. A whole lot of people, not a whole lot of people are paying attention or they're easily distracted. In fact, you could just say uh, that's just the way it is in politics in general. Uh, Not a whole lot of people are paying attention and those who are are easily uh, distracted. Anyway, uh, so we got round two of uh, Newman versus Lipinski. And it turns out, as I said, Lipinski has a strategy document that advocates Two sets of messages, one for liberals or real Democrats and a second for conservatives. All right. Somehow or other, that document got into the hands of Marie Newman backers, and it was only a matter of time before it found its way to Lynn Sweet, the intrepid Washington. Here we go reporter uh, based in Washington, D.C., political reporter uh, for the Chicago Sun-Times. She writes a regular column, Lynn Sweet, D.C. decoder. And uh, so she analyzes the Lipinski strategy book. She got her hands on it. Look, by the way, somehow or other, uh, our good friend was also involved in this, D, uh, Rich Rodriguez. You remember him? Yeah. Yeah, uh, he was on the show. And somehow or other, he got... You know, I don't... We got to bring him back in the show and ask him, but did, was he the one who passed it off to uh, Lynn Weed? We don't know, mystery, but uh, his name is mentioned in the story as well. Anyway, two sets of books uh, for Danny Lipinski, two strategies for Lipinski. One, his appeal to, quote-unquote, real Democrats, and two, his appeal to dinos, Democrat in name only. And, you know, he's the leading candidate for that one. Uh, and I'll give you uh, some of the highlights. He's dino king. He's Dino King. He is king of the Dino Burger. Uh, Here are some of the highlights from the strategy document suggesting messages to various voter demographics in the 3rd Congressional District, as written by Lynn Sweet. Uh, Lynn Sweet from the Chicago Sun-Times. Here we go. Quote, Hispanics were to be flagged about Lipinski's pro-Dreamer votes, while Republicans would be targeted with pro-Border Patrol messaging. Got that, D? So, in other words, if you're Hispanic in the district, you were going to be told that uh, Danny Lipinski had supported efforts to allow Dreamers to become citizens or at least have a pathway to citizens. And if you uh, are hardcore anti-immigrant pro-Trump voter in the district, you're going to be reminded that Dan Lipinski stood with Trump uh, as he beefed up border patrols and kicked people out and maybe uh, of the country and supported separating families at the border. I don't know if that's part of the uh, messaging too, but it's interesting. So it's got one set of message that he's going to send to Hispanic voters, which is 
I am for dreamers and a second set of message that he's going to send to Trump voters, which is throw the bums out. Uh, so, you know, folks in the um, third congressional district uh, should be warned, as I always say, don't believe anything a candidate sends to you in the mail about himself or his opponent. That's my general rule of thumb. Here we go. Uh, here's another uh, a highlight from the strategy document. Lipinski is anti-abortion, and that would be the emphasis of Republicans and Catholics, but not for outreach to other women, millennials, teachers, independent union members, and nurses. Wow, they've got it sophisticated. They've got it. They figured out who is Catholic, who votes Republican. They're going to get the hardcore Dan Lipinski's against abortion uh, messaging, and then everybody else is just... They're going to ignore this. They're just going to ignore the issue. That is really if that if that works, that really would show that voters are staggeringly ignorant about what's going on in politics. Because one thing that Daniel Lipinski is known for is that he's pretty much the only Democratic Congress or one of the few who uh, is against reproductive rights for women, is strongly against abortion rights. Uh, that's That was the key issue in the 2018 election against Marie Newman, and the uh, uh, anti-abortion forces came out strong for Lipinski. So he's banking on a staggering amount of ignorance of people like pro-choice voters in the area who just aren't aware of this and go, well, I, I was not aware of this. So he's just going to send them flyers in the mail that don't discuss it, you know, hoping that they're just not paying attention and they're ignorant. And like I said, you can always uh, bank on voters a certain amount of ignorance uh, from the voters. And here we go. A drive to this is the third part of the strategy. A drive to persuade persuade Republicans to vote in the Democratic primary would include reaching out to GOP office holders, getting letters from GOP surrogates, and through Facebook ads targeting independents. One more time, like a secret message. It's like speaking in a secret language that only Republicans can hear. I'm against abortion. I'm against reproductive rights. It's like a, it's like a dog whistle. You know what I mean? Only the dogs can hear it. So it's like, let's say you're uh, pro-choice and you're just wandering through the district. I can't hear it. I'm ignorant. I'll vote for Lipinski because I like his name. I'm not hearing that message. Again, banking on the utter ignorance of the uh, voters in the third congressional. How about this one? These are talking points. This is the fourth one, right? No, this is... <laughs> No, those are the three uh, oh. different Number messages. Three. So this is talk. Oh, my. <laughs> I like the little drum thing. That was the start of the show. Uh, the Lipinski uh, campaign document also includes talking points to describe Lipinski and Newman. So let, this is for people going to the doors, I guess. Hello, voter. Did you know that Marie Newman is, quote, self-absorbed? Oh, that's going to scare people. What politician isn't self-absorbed? You're running for office, too. An opportunist. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that applies. They're all opportunists. They're all looking for an opportunity to get elected. And three, and here's the one. Did you know she's a socialist? I'm scared. <laughs> I also want to tell you that... Uh, Bernie Sanders did very well in the, that district. So Lipinski, not giving you advice—not that you would take my advice—but you gotta, you may want to try two sets of books for the socialist label. Socialist label, it's not going to really hurt you, uh, people with, of the Bernie Sanders uh, persuasion, and there are a lot of those in the third congressional. Uh, so maybe once again, you just have to say that to Republicans. That'd be part of the dog whistle to Republicans. Socialist. 
socialist. And here's the Lipinski, what they say about Lipinski. Votes is conscience. Labor unions doesn't check the wind. Oh, yeah, doesn't check the wind. How ironic is that? Doesn't check the wind. He only has got two sets of messages blowing in the wind. One, this is the message blowing in the wind for liberals. Two, this is the message blowing in the wind for Republicans. Anyway, like I said, it seems as though if you read uh, the uh, memo, the, the campaign, the internal campaign document that Dan Lipinski is banking on, a tremendous amount of ignorance on the part of third congressional district voters. And if the past is any predictor of the future, it's probably a winning strategy. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, yes, yes. Maya Dugmasova will be in the studio. We talk about everything local and national uh, and, and politics. Maya, my uh, partner in crime from the Chicago Reader. And then, of course, Troy LaRavier, as Dr. D said, who'll be in here breaking down all the news, local, national. Uh, we'll do some Bernie talk with Troy. Troy was a Bernie delegate back in the day. So a lot of political talk ahead of us. But before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man they call the doctor with the news. Hello, I'm Dennis. All right, Ben, back at it. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. <laughs> Why do you laugh every time? When you go, hello, I'm Dennis. Uh, I'm not really a doctor. Today on our Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker schedule, oh. a fireside chat at the Standard Club with a meeting of the Economic Club. Ben, have you ever taken part in a fireside chat? No. Are they actually going to have a fire burning? I don't know. It sounds like it. Fire burning bright. We're caroling through the night. That's a Christmas song. Anyway. We all know that. Uh, um, no, I've never, never, ever. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. Hey, here's another question. What is a fireside chat? <laughs> well, I presume he'll be chatting by the fire. Oh, really? That's yeah. all you got for that? Yeah. Huh? Well, you know, in the old days, this is even before my time, D, uh, President Roosevelt would give a radio address uh, from the White House and uh, he would be doing it in front of the fire. So they say it was a fireside chat to sort of give, give people the notion that they were like in the White House with their president. So I, I, maybe there'll okay. be a fire going. I don't know. Fire. So it's like in... 2019 2020 it's like live streaming yeah with without the fire without the fire yeah okay so, well the notion that it's a real intimate chat that he's uh among friends that uh he's letting his hair down that kind of thing that's and he's gonna you know tell you what you need to know what you want to know answer your questions honest that kind of thing no ducking and dodging all right so at a fireside chat he's doing the fireside chat and then he's off to the lewis innovation hub and incubator in romeoville where he'll speak at the community wins award ceremony wow romeoville for 10 trivia points who do you know and i know a frequent guest in this show who uh, lives in the romeoville area I hate when you do these trivia points thing um i don't know sergio mims no, Sergio Mims lives in Hyde Park. He'll oh. be coming on the show, I believe, tomorrow. Sergio Mims, Atiba Buchanan, oh, from that neck of the woods. I knew that. Yeah, okay, mm -hmm. I knew that. All right, so he's doing that. Uh, the Innovation Hub and Incubator in Romeoville. He's going to speak at the Community Wins Award ceremony. Mm -hmm. In statewide news, we talked about this on Friday. Go download the show to get more detail. ChicagoReader.com and ChicagoSunTimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. Very, very good. Come January 2020, Democratic Illinois Senate President John Ooh, Cullerton will become just citizen John Cullerton. Mm -hmm. He's retiring. 
Ben, what were your thoughts on that again? Well, I took a lot of heat from my uh, friends of the cynical persuasion. Because if you recall, was it Friday that we discussed this? Yep. The story broke that uh, John Cullerton was stepping down. He announced out of nowhere that he was not going to run for re-election. There's a vacancy. And, uh, and so this being Chicago, immediately people began to wonder, does he know something we don't know? I mean, every other Democrat in the state is under investigation. And I said, no, I think he's stepping down uh, for the reasons stated that he wants to spend more time with his family. Everybody made fun of me, D. Do you realize that? I did. <laughs> Walking down the hall, the Sun-Times, oh, real hard-hitting reporting from you, Ben. You know, you, you, they're tough on me at the right one, you know. I was oh. wondering what all that snickering <laughs> in the bathroom uh, was all You about. actually fell for that, Ben? <laughs> So, anyway, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm sticking by it, whatever, you know. And, and, and of course, Dennis goes, oh, I'm going to keep that bit around so that uh, if something does come out, I'm going to play it over and over again. But, uh, yeah, man wants to spend more time with his family. All right, D? Come so, on. So huh? Cullerton's retired, and because it's Illinois, we're all a little suspicious. <laughs> But it only took a good yeah. night's sleep for a list of potential candidates for the mm. next Senate president to appear in the news. Sadly, no, once again, Ben Jarofsky was not one of them. <laughs> Been trying for over two years, people. He won't run for anything. By the way, any more thought on that uh, water reclamation gig? You love water. I do love water. And by the way, may I say the water at the Sun-Times is delicious. Mmm. I'm drinking the Kamala Kool-Aid again. I'm like, you know, I'm like, if we're going to get a centrist, why not get Kamala to run? I'm talking about the local news. Oh, sorry, man. Uh, And uh, anyway, so uh, yes, no, even though I really love water, I'm not ready to run for water reclamation district, man. One of these days. One of these days, guys. He'd make a great water reclamation guy. One of these nights. Sorry. So on Friday, we had a list of six rumored Senate president replacements. And today... We have one, and Ooh. it's not a rumor. She's actively campaigning for the job as we speak. It's Illinois State Senator Kimberly, no, not Lightfoot, Lightford. <laughs> yeah, Kimberly right. Lightford. From the western suburbs. Mm-hmm. If elected, she'd be the first woman and first African-American to preside over either chamber in the General Assembly. Uh, that is not true. Well, that's what it said in the paper. That's not true. Tell us who. Uh, well, uh, in terms of African-American, maybe first African-American woman, but uh, a president of the Senate, Emil Jones, uh, in the early O's. Uh, he's a black man from the south side of Chicago. And they're going way back in time. This is way back in time. So nobody who wrote that story would remember it because only an old timer would remember. Cecil, correct. <laughs> Cecil Partee, state senator from uh, the 20th Ward. He was the committeeman of the 20th Ward. He was the state Senate president. One to say in mid 1970s Cecil Party. So there were been two uh, black men who have been president of the Senate. Well, so there you go. The things I know, huh? Now, Ben, I can't recall. What do we know about Kimberly Lightford? Anything? Well, Kimberly Lightford is a state senator from the uh, western suburbs, I believe, but don't quote me. She's a graduate, never do. A graduate of Proviso East High School, uh, aka the Panthers. And uh, she's your basic conventional, straight up Democratic Party uh, loyalist. And I uh, would sort of be following along the lines of Cullerton if she got the gig. Now, I will say this, um, the perspective that she would have as a black woman would be a definite alternative to a white man. So uh, I would say in, in many ways that would be a step up. But it's not, she's not by any means like a Bernie Sanders uh, radical, if you will. You know, uh, She's more of a straight-up party person. So I could see her getting the gig without a, lot of, a whole lot of controversy. 
Well, it seems as though, yeah, like you said here, Lightford, Lightford is well liked. I want to say Lightfoot every time. Lightford is well liked. A lot of lights. <laughs> little this little light of mine. This little light of mine. <laughs> I'm gonna let it shine. <laughs> Yeah. Seems like she's well-liked among her peers, this Lightford. She's got some early endorsers, two of which were people rumored to be running for Senate president as well. 7th District Senator Heather Staines and the senator out of the 48th District, the downstater, the 618-er, <laughs> Andy Menard. That, that weeping you hear is Dennis because he was really pushing for Andy Menard. That's my guy. Uh, but uh, what do you say? Andy Menard has jumped aboard the Lightford bandwagon? Along with Senator Tony Munoz of the 1st District, these three have lined up behind Lightford. And according to Illinois Politico, these three aren't just endorsing her for the Senate president. They would also serve as part of her leadership team. And between the four of them, the senators represent key constituencies across the state with every caucus represented. African-Americans, Latinos, women, and I guess because what they really want to say, country-ass white people <laughs> would be considered uncouth downstate. <laughs> what did you call country? Oh, man, Dr. D, that's funny. The foursome also has combined expertise in key areas, <laughs> education, <laughs> human services, public safety, budget, and redistricting. So while this does give Lightford an early edge, this good, is good. That's tough, man. I, and, you know, he doesn't even have dyslexia. Could just imagine poor me dealing with this? <laughs> Try not to say Lightfoot. I now it's in my mind. Uh, Lightfoot, Lightfoot. No, Lightfoot, Lightfoot. And I'm worried that working with you long enough will give me dyslexia. <laughs> dyslexia, man. You do not want to be battling it my whole life. So while this does give Lightfoot an early edge, this is still a long and, as Illinois Politico eloquently put it, Behind the scenes oh, race. So hold on, here comes the phone. Can't talk now. I'm on the show, but let's cut a deal later. That's going on, folks. They're burning up that line. All right, I'll support you if you put me put, in, put me in charge of this committee. You got it. I'll support you if you can find a job for my brother. You got it. All oh, the wheeling and dealing, D. It's politics, man. That's and how it's it Illinois. Goes down. It's Illinois. It's just. It's just. Politics in general. Remember the movie Lincoln? Did you ever see the movie Lincoln? No. Uh, uh, Steven Spielberg's movie about Abraham Lincoln. Anyway, there was all it was talking about um, how Lincoln was wheeling and dealing and promising jobs to get the votes he needed uh, to pass legislation. You know, that's how it's done. It's been been done that way forever. Of course, now Lincoln was an Illinois politician, D. So there's that. Good point. Uh, thanks for raising it. And uh, he's also a downstater. Okay. Thank you. Again, you're on a roll, man. <laughs> Do what I can. Uh, but so much wheeling and dealing. And it's not just Democrats, folks. Lincoln was a Republican. Republicans wheel and deal, too. Don't kid yourself. So, yes, it's a long race still. And Senators Don Harmon, Michael Hastings, LG Sims, Napoleon Harris, and Melinda Bush are actively working to gather support. Oh, my God. There's like three different new names. Yeah. The, uh, Napoleon Harris was not named no. uh, before South Suburban uh, State Senator for 10 trivia points. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> what sport did he play in college? I had baseball. Oh, no. Nice try. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, uh, that would uh, be wrong. You're mix, mixing him up with Chris Welch, oh, state rep from uh, the West Western suburbs. Uh, Napoleon Harris was a great linebacker for Northwestern University. Did you know that? Obviously not. Did not uh, know that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he was not on the list on Friday, so I guess the list is expanded. Yeah, tomorrow we'll have three more. It's sort of like the Democratic nomination for president. You know, we like two or three people drop off, and then two or three people uh, sign on, and it just seems like it's stuck at 20. And uh, so it's going to be the same thing. Sooner or later, they're going to have to cut a deal. Um, 
and decide who's going to replace Johnny Cullerton. All right, so enough about this story. But before we move on, hey, Cullerton, <laughs> Ben may not, but I got my eye on you, pal. <laughs> Cullerton, man, he's going back. He wants to spend more time with his family and his property tax appeal business. It's also something he said. He's a property tax appeal, or he works for a law firm, one of the biggest uh, property tax appeal firms in the city, he says he wants to spend more time with his law practice. So. All right, moving There's on. That. Moving on. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. No, not Lightford. Lightfoot. <laughs> Lori Lightfoot. What's on the mayor's schedule? Well, it's a trip to St. Bernard's Hospital Ambulatory Care Center to announce the launch of Family Connects Chicago, which is a new service designed to support the health and well-being of mothers, newborns, and their families by mm-hmm. providing home visits with registered nurses at no cost. That's what's on her schedule. Mm-hmm. Last week during her meeting with the city council, Mayor Lightfoot announced her minimum wage plan. She wants to raise Chicago's minimum wage to $15 an hour by the year 2021, but also maintain a sub-minimum wage for tipped workers. Well, according to the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran the Woman Spielman, it cleared a key legislative hurdle on Monday. It advanced to the city council floor, setting the stage for a final vote on next week, and it advanced to cheers from restaurant owners. Yeah, they're... <laughs> Yeah, they're happy. The cheerful Illinois Restaurant Association president, Sam Toya, said the, quote, pragmatic mayoral compromise advanced by the city council's budget committee, quote, balances the needs of hardworking Chicagoans struggling to make ends meet with, quote, neighborhood businesses that drive our economy. Hmm. But there are those who aren't so cheerful about all of this. Like, let us entertain you, Vice President Ethan Sampson, who says eliminating the lower wage would, quote, jeopardize the tips that tipped workers rely on. Ryan Marks, owner and operator of the Legacy Hospitality Group, who stated that the tipped minimum wage would be devastating to their bottom line and potentially put others under. And 35th Ward Alderman slash Ben Jarofsky show frequent guest Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who argued again Monday that eliminating the sub-minimum wage and phasing in a $15 an hour wage for all workers was imperative to, quote, reduce workplace sexual harassment and eradicate a two-tiered system that, quote, leaves black and Latino women in the service industry behind. But Ben Jarofsky, what say you? Where do you stand on Mayor Lightfoot's minimum wage? Well, as always, I'm all over the map uh, on this one. Uh, First of all, I have a hard time uh, really feeling sorry for some of the restaurant operators who are, are, you know, weeping over this uh, because some of the these are big chains. They're making a lot of money. They're doing well for themselves. So, uh, you know, I'm. Got a, I have a feeling, to quote the Beatles, uh, that they could uh, cut a little more money uh, for their tipped employees. Uh, on the other hand, I do think that it might be difficult for some smaller restaurants, not the big chains, uh, to continue to operate. So I could see a point uh, that if you raise the amount of money that a restaurateur has to pay uh, his or her staff uh, for um, the, the tipped employees, it could be prohibitive. So I, I, I do have sympathy for smaller, the, the smaller restauranteurs, not these big chains. So I mean, I'm a hard time believing anything they say. Uh, and uh, right now, I think the deal would be that the minimum wage would rise uh, by next year to $8.40 an hour for tipped employees as opposed to $15 an hour for non-tipped employees. I, 
Hey, now I leave tips for everybody these days, D. You know what I'm saying? You go to the uh, to like a, a, a Panera or something like that, the little jar out there, Pop Belly, get the little jar out there so you put the money in. So um, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I do believe you got to protect the smaller businesses. I'm, actually, I'm sympathetic to them. But come on, it's crocodile tears by some of these big companies. I'm not falling for it. And by the way, Sam Toya, who's singing the praise of it, has been around this uh, Chicago politics for a long, long time. Don't ask me where he went to high school. <laughs> I was going to ask you for 10 trivia <laughs> points. What restaurant chain did he used to run? Burger King. <laughs> Leona's. You're wrong. Uh, Kyle weighed in on the YouTube live stream chat. And, dude, I agree with you 100%. Kyle says, Ben knowing the high schools where local politician, uh, politicians went is one of the weirdest aspects of political <laughs> analytics that he has. Well, I don't know. My inability, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in my head. But, you know, it's Kyle, I'll explain it this way. I like to know where people come from. You know what I mean? So, so the first question is, well, what high school do you go to? And then here's the weird part. It gets lodged in my head. That's the cry for help, Kyle. That's the real cry for help. Like, think of all the things I would know if I, my head was decluttered from the things that I've accumulated, the oddball pieces of trivia and information. Uh, but, you know, it's just as a general question. Where'd you come from? Like, Dennis, where'd you come from? I think one of the first questions they ask you, where'd you come from? Mm -hmm. Downstate Alton. I'm fascinated by that because I'm interested, you know, in people's backgrounds. And Dennis has told me a lot of stories about Alton, the people who went to Alton, what, how Alton is different than Chicago, the different tastes of people. So if you really, I'm actually going to disagree with you, uh, Kyle. I think if, like, if you really want to do a study on, on trying to kind of understand where people come from, it's good to know their backgrounds. And, you know, the, the, one of the things is what school they went to. But the weird part, and I humbly agree with you, is that the way it gets lodged in my head. And so that I know that, for instance, Chris Welch went to Proviso West High School, whereas Kimberly Lightford went to Proviso East High School. And that Proviso East High School is in Maywood, and that Proviso West High School is in Westchester. Kyle, that is weird. I agree. That was a very convincing answer you gave there to Kyle. All right, we're going to end it out here with an Ubergate update. You guys remember Ubergate, right? It all started when Mayor oh my Lightfoot. God, Ubergate. <laughs> it all started when Mayor Lori Lightfoot promised to impose a congestion tax on ride-hailing companies like Uber. Yeah, to no one's surprise, Uber isn't really happy about that. The mayor and Uber have been going back and forth ever since. Boy, first the teachers, now Uber. Hey, no one ever said being the mayor was fun, all right? <laughs> I'm kind of with Lori in this fight, though. Lightfoot last week even <laughs> accused Uber of offering to pay black ministers in Chicago $54 million to help the company defeat her plan. And she didn't really have any proof for that, but she said it. Uber has since said, uh, that's not true, and the mayor has since walked that Wait, statement Wait, I would back. take really out of that set. She <laughs> didn't have any proof for that. <laughs> uh, anyway. So uh, she since walked that back, but we do have another update. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times, and yes, once again, France Spielman, Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Tuesday, shot down Uber's latest alternative to her $40 million congestion fee, calling it, quote, a Hail Mary and a distraction by the ride-hailing giant that will do nothing to ease the downtown traffic nightmare. Uber claims its latest alternative would generate $10 million more than the mayor's version. If the plan falls short, the money-losing behemoth, whose investors include former Mayor Rahm Emanuel's brother, <laughs> is offering to make up the difference. Lightfoot was not not impressed. She's sticking to her plan, confident that she has the votes for it. We have a quick quote from Mayor Lightfoot. Quote, this is another kind of Hail Mary pass on the part of Uber. It doesn't involve either of the two rideshare companies, and it's telling that it comes after months of engagement with them. It comes the day before the vote. 
Yeah, I'm like I said, I'm I'm with uh, Lori Lightfoot on this one, and uh, we'll get into it with Maya a little bit. Maya's entered the studio, gets her thought, get her thoughts on this as well. Uh, one of the points that Lori Lightfoot made when she was running for office, and I know this because she made it uh, uh, very vehemently when she was at First Tuesday, uh, back in whenever she was at First Tuesday, our show at the Hideout, was that she viewed uh, she she wanted to use a tax. Uh, to try to, uh, as an incentive to keep people from taking Uber, and not just Uber, but Lyft, any ride sharing. And in fact, her point was that there's too many cars on the roads uh, in downtown Chicago and in the air- surrounding area. There's too much traffic congestion. It's not good for the environment and it's not good for public transportation. And she talked about this. I was impressed uh, when she was saying this on the camp. I was impressed with a lot of things uh, that she said at that hideout show. Uh, she, I guess she knew who she was talking to or the audience she was talking to, but she's standing by her guns on this. So she's talking about the tech as a disincentive to keep people from uh, taking a single ride just for one person to be in an uber cab and uber is reframing it they they know i don't think they want to have a disincentive for people to use their services they're not in the business to worry about the environment they want people to use their uh services and so they're talking about spreading out the tax bringing in the taxi caps as well to make as a revenue thing to raise money for the city uh and they're trying to win over and i think they're successfully doing that uh the editorial boards are jumping aboard with uber on this one so it's like they have two different points here uh lori lightfoot is concerned about the impact of all these cars on the environment and uh, Uber is concerned about making sure they can continue to have as many cars as they can out there so they can make more money. All right, moving on. The news broke yesterday during the show. And if you're a Chicago political junkie like this guy sitting next to me, you knew this was already coming. But it's official. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox mm. is running for re-election. She kicked her campaign off yesterday with a two-minute political campaign ad. We had our good friend and president of the Chicago Principals Association, Troy LaRavier, on the program when it happened. By the way, if you missed it, don't worry. You can download all of our shows, both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, or wherever else you download podcasts. I'm working on the TuneIn Radio app, by the way. Uh, Doogie asked about the TuneIn Radio app. You love the TuneIn Radio app, right, Ben? I own one. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, the whole app, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. All right, we heard a bit of uh, the ad yesterday, and in moments, we're going to play the whole thing. But first, Ben, real quick, thoughts on the portion of the ad that you heard? Well, okay, the the portion that you played yesterday, uh, as opposed to the one you're going to play today? I'm playing the entire thing today. Oh, yeah, all right. Well, the one that we played yesterday was really accentuating uh, her humble beginnings uh, from Cabrini Green uh, to talk about, to give people a sense of what an inspirational story she has, uh, that she rose out of, uh, uh, I guess, poverty. Uh, She grew up in public housing, and she became a lawyer, and now she's the chief prosecutor in Cook County States uh, for the Cook County. Uh, state's attorney's office so it's an inspiring story for kim fox now okay this is her second time around that she's telling that story and it's hard to understand i don't know if voters are going to buy it right now but it's very important that she deflect attention from smollett gate and the full portion that you're going to pay play now d gets into smollett gate so let's hear what she has to say about it and then we'll unpack it It's different now, but I grew up at Larrabee and Division, better known as Cabrini Green. It's where I learned to be tough, to survive, overcame poverty, 
and sexual assault. For years, the name Cabrini Green was synonymous with racism and poverty, and the towers were symbols for inequality and injustice in Chicago. Time passed, and the projects came down, but those problems haven't changed. Now new names symbolize injustice. Names like John Burge and Laquan McDonald. Four years ago, I ran for state's attorney to change criminal justice in Cook County. I'm running again because we're only getting started. State's attorney is a tough job. Every day, my office is under attack. From a president who uses our city as a punching bag, the NRA hell-bent on letting guns flood our streets, and the FOP clinging to the old ways. They'll do anything to undercut progress, including attacking me personally over the Jesse Smollett case. Truth is, I didn't handle it well. I own that. I'm making changes in my office to make sure we do better. That's what reform is about. But we all know those attacks aren't just about one case. They're about stopping progress in Cook County. And those voices won't tell you that on my watch, we're prosecuting more violent crimes, not just low-level offenses. That gun prosecutions are up. That we're a national model for reform. And that while they focus on headlines, we put the killers of Hadia Pendleton and Tyshawn Lee behind bars. So hear it from me. A girl from Cabrini and a woman standing up to that old boys club. We're on the right path to reforming criminal justice in Cook County and making the system work for everyone. But there's still work to do, and I need your help. Join me. Jeff Manuel on the piano. <laughs> all right, that was a pretty clever pivot. I'm glad you played the whole thing, and I heard the whole thing. Um, all right, let's unpack this a little bit. As you all know, uh, I call it Smollett Gate. It's Justice Smollett. deals with the actor who made up the complete contrivance, which I think everybody agrees. He just made it up that he was assaulted by a couple of MAGA hat-wearing uh, Trump supporters of the Chicago Police Department when they got, when they heard his report. Obviously, they didn't believe it, and they sent, I forget how many uh, man hours were spent, dedicated to uh, proving that uh, he had made it up. Uh, and in the middle of all that investigation, uh, uh Kim Fox took a phone call from a big-time political operative named Tina Chen. I can't believe I still remember this stuff. you got to give me credit, man. I'm just doing this off the top of the head without notes. And she took a phone call from Tina Chen. Tina Chen said uh, the family's very concerned about uh, quotes coming out, from, uh, unsourced quotes coming out from the police department. They would like the, the, the matter turned over to the FBI for investigation. Uh, at that point, uh, sometime thereafter, Kim Fox herself called Eddie Johnson, the police chief, city of Chicago, and expressed her concerns, conveyed her concerns. Uh, when all was said and done, the case was not handled uh, hand over to the uh, FBI. Of course, when all was said and done, charges were leveled against Justice Smollett for making the whole thing up, and then those charges were dropped, uh, and he cut a deal with uh, Kim Fox. So, yes, it, I think it's pretty clear, it's pretty evident that she has to quote, uh, I didn't handle it well, I own that. Yes, you didn't handle it well. Uh, in fact, you did a disservice to the movement that you represent by the way you handle it. You've given ammunition to all the right wingers out there who want to drive you from office. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> to put it mildly, uh, it was a bad move by you. And uh, will it lead to her political downfall, D? I do not think so. And I'll tell you why. 
and I just addressed this in a reader our column just the other day, the hypocrisy out of the Republican Party is so putrid, it's so offensive, that they're making such a big deal about how Kim Fox handled the Smollett case uh, and looking the other way or defending Donald John, John Trump as he intimidates witnesses, uh, as he defies subpoenas, as he orders aides not to testify, as they mock and malign anybody who dares to, to come forth under oath to talk about how, how he was shaking down the Ukrainian president. We're not, and that's just one episode of Republicans looking the other way at Donald John Trump's crimes. Donald John Trump was uh, taking money that people had given to his charity and spending it uh, for like buying a portrait for one of his hotels. Uh, Donald John Trump, I think he has at least 17 or 18 accusations, public accusations of sexual assault or sexual harassment from various women in this country against him. Not a word out of the Republicans. So when Kim Fox makes that pivot, and talks about how she's been under siege by Republicans. She's sending a message to Democratic voters in Cook County and Chicago that the Republicans are a bunch of freaking hypocrites. They're making such a big deal about Smollett Gate, and they're looking the other way at all of Donald John Trump's crimes. And you know what, D? I find that a convincing argument. I want to be above it all. I want to say no, no, uh-uh. We just have to search for truth regardless of party. It, but you know what? After a while, it's like a sucker's game. It's like the fair map. The fair map is the biggest sucker's game in the state of Illinois. You got all these do-gooder Republicans, Democrats coming together saying, oh, let's make a fair map in which everybody is represented equally. So we take. Was well, that an impression of anybody in particular? And just every sucker and sap. Okay. Who, no one in particular. No one in particular. Okay. And oh, let's have a fair map. Oh, I'm now going to do a dance to a fair map. Dee, 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 dee. This is a dance to a fair map. Meanwhile, Republicans sounded like Skillicorn to me, but go ahead. Who? That Skillicorn guy, the Republican in uh, Illinois. Oh, gee, I, I didn't even know that. Maybe I'm channeling in my inner Skillicorn. And meanwhile, the Republicans uh, in Michigan or up in Michigan trying to, uh, uh, they're, they're challenging uh, a law that would have made a fair map uh, that would, again, but in that case, Republicans would lose seats. So when it comes to Republicans losing seats, the Republicans against fair maps. When it comes to Democrats losing seats, they're for fair maps. In other words, they're hypocrites. So it's the same thing with criminal justice. When it comes to Donald John Trump breaking the law, oh, come on now. You're trying to undo an election. When it comes to Kim Fox making phone calls, this is the greatest outrage I've ever seen in the entire history of civilization. So I'm tired of playing that sucker's game. When the Republicans stand up and start treating evidence of wrongdoing by Donald Trump in a serious manner and hold him accountable, then I'll play along and hold Democrats accountable. But this is ridiculous at some point. It's a sucker's game, double standard. So I think most voters in Cook County, at least a plurality of voters in a Democratic primary, will see it that way, and Kim Fox will be victorious. That's my prediction, young man. No collusion. <laughs> oh, hey, what do you know? Someone else has a problem with Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot.
She's worked out her contract issues with the teachers. She's got Uber breathing down her neck on that congestion fee she's looking to add. And what the hell, let's throw one more log on the fire. United Working <laughs> Families. Ah, I'm a tie. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Chicago aldermen were urged Wednesday to vote against Mayor Lori Lightfoot's $11.65 billion budget because it breaks her campaign promise to reopen shuttered mental health clinics and tax wealthy corporations and nonprofits to pay for it. Lightfoot called the strident opposition an extension of both the 2019 mayoral campaign and the 11-day teacher strike, as well as a prelude to her 2023 re-election campaign. Wow. United Working Families, which is marshalling opposition to her 2020 budget, is, Lightfoot said, closely aligned with the Chicago Teachers Union. Mm-hmm. All right, now come a lot of quotes. First up, it's Emma Tai, Executive Director of United Working Families. Here's the quote from Emma Tai. Quote, these are the wrong choices, and now it's time for the city council to make the right choices and vote no on a budget that is bad for working people and black and brown Chicagoans. Here's the quote from Lightfoot. Quote, this is what they've been saying from the moment of my inauguration. I would expect that they will have a continual drumbeat of complaints throughout my term until they support and announce a candidate in opposition to me in the next election. All right, there's a couple issues here, uh, and this is very similar to the fight with the teachers. So there's the political issue. Let's put that to the side. And then there's the issue of mental health. Uh, Mayor Rahm closed six mental health clinics in some of the poorest high-crime areas of the city uh, as part of his first budget, which had proved 50 to nothing by the aldermen. It was a disgraceful moment in the city of Chicago. There had been no discussion as to what the consequences of closing those clinics would be. There was no discussion as to whether it was a good idea, uh, whether they you were going to leave uh, the most vulnerable people even more vulnerable than they already were. He just did it. Uh, because he had the power and the authority to do it. uh, And it generated a huge response or a loud response uh, from mental health activists uh, and lefties, few lefties that were daring to speak up in those days. And I was championing their cause. Once again, D, I'm like the guy in the out, out with the trying to be heard above the din. And uh, but it passed 50 to nothing in that first budget, largely folks. I'm going to remind you, because Mayor Rahm was also redistricting the, the city boundaries of all the ward maps. And so the aldermen were really under pressure because Rahm plays the game hard. So on one hand, he was saying, I want your vote for that budget. And, oh, by the way, we're going to be redistricting your wards in a little while. He could have redistricted them out of existence, as he did with one Robert Fioretti in the second ward. Uh, and so the aldermen went along. Some of those aldermen, Scott, like Scott Wagsbacker, the 32nd ward, Scotty Wagsbacker, uh, frequent guest on this show, said it's one of their most uh, embarrassing votes. They wish he could take it back. Other aldermen have said that as well. I think John Arena said that uh, as well. So uh, this has been an issue that's been alive uh, in in Chicago politics for eight years. Lori Lightfoot, as a candidate, uh, campaigned on a promise to reopen those clinics. And then lo and behold, in her first budget, She's not reopening the clinics, and instead she's saying that she's going to spend, I think I saw the quote in the paper, $9 million or so on other uh, mental health uh, resources. So if this, in the city of Chicago, if we were going to have, uh, like I would say, a reasoned debate, I would welcome it. 
Like, what are the pros and the cons of moving to more to funding private company corporations to handle mental health as opposed to having a clinic that is right there on the street with city workers operating it? People can drop in on a routine, a regular basis. I tend to go for that. I say more, not less. The city needs more mental health resources across the board. Everybody's losing their freaking mind in the city of Chicago, not just poor people, but for some reason, Mayor Lightfoot is just sticking with that ROM plan, and uh, Emma Ty's group is trying to hold her uh, accountable for that. All right, and then you get to the political issue. And the reality is that the left in the city of Chicago is very dissatisfied with Lori Lightfoot. I could go down a list of five things. Uh, Miles is in the studio. I'm sure he's ready to run him down himself. At least five things that she's done that's irritated the left. And uh, Lori Lightfoot does not back away from a fight. We've seen that already with the Fraternal Order of Police. Isn't that interesting? She's having like a fight with the far right and a far fight <laughs> with the far left. So I guess and from her point of view, that's like, well, the people in the middle must love me. Uh, but um, she's also fighting with the, the yuppies who love Uber. Uh, so she's got like a, so you got the yuppies who love Uber. I don't Do they call them yuppies still, D? Sure. All right. The yuppies who love Uber, the far left, the far right, they're all fighting with her. So I guess she figures she's doing the right thing. But I do think uh, the city of Chicago really should take a hard look at uh, opening up those mental health clinics. I can't believe it costs that much money in this enormous budget that we have. And uh, like I said, there's a tremendous disservice was done to people in those high crime areas when you close the clinics in the first place. All right. Now more Lightfoot United Working Family quotes. Quote, it's easy to stand on the sidelines and lob bombs. It's much more difficult to govern and particularly govern in a way that brings fairness and reality and fits uh, and fiscal prudence to a process. Lightfoot said the group is, quote, entitled to their opinion, but she plans to forge ahead with what's, quote, in the best interest of all residents and not just a certain a certain constituency and uh, you get the point she won't be having a luncheon anytime soon with united working family she no. loves luncheons everybody yeah i think that's pretty callous uh, rhetoric on the part of uh, uh lori lightfoot there and i say that you know i admit i like where working families is coming from uh, i like the fact they stick up for people who are getting trounced by the system and i just feel as though to just try to reduce their concerns as though it's just all politics again this is a replay of what happened with the teachers. Now, there may be political activists embedded there who cannot stand Lori Lightfoot and are already planning uh, to run it, find someone to run in 2023. The rumor is that Miles Conflassen will be the person they draft Miles, to run it. Miles, <laughs> Miles, Miles. That's Come a reality. On. That's a reality. Do but to, it. But to dismiss the concerns that they're raising regarding mental health and the lack thereof in poor communities is unfair. And uh, it's so when someone someone on the left has a legitimate question about like nurses in a public school to just dismiss that out of hand. Oh, they're just running for office. They don't. You know, who can, you're dismissing the issue. Like, should we have more nurses in the schools? Should we have more social workers in the schools? And why? How much money could it make cost to open up a clinic and staff a clinic? And how much does that represent in the entire city budget? Uh, can we afford it? How much would that add to the tax roll? And once again, I'll point out. You know, I'm the, I'll say it again, Lincoln Yards, two point, what is it? $1 billion of commitments over 23 years. You know, how come it somehow or other that 
is not a problem, a burden to the taxpayers, but opening a clinic in a poor neighborhood is. So. Yes, that's billion with a B. Thank you. I needed that. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this program. It's true. Check it out sometime at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show on both Facebook and Twitter. The Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram. And hey, like I said, all next week, we're not doing a live show, but we're going to have Benny J bonus interviews and Benny J bonus shows to play for all of you. And one that we're doing is uh, a Q&A. So feel free to uh, ask us whatever question you have at or, or it's Benny J show at gmail.com. Benny J show at gmail.com. We will see everybody on Thursday. <laughs>